Allow me to show you something. in the room. Man, you guys, you guys are out of control. In Fort Worth, in Northwest Arkansas, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, Philadelphia, wherever you were tuning in from Cincinnati, Ohio, and everybody online and everybody here. We are continuing the series Hot Take Summer. We kicked off last week. Each week we are starting with some hot takes. So I'm gonna give you a couple more of my own hot takes. If you're not familiar with a hot take, a hot take is basically like, hey, get ready. I'm about to spit some facts you may not agree with right here. So hot take number one. Sonic is one of the top three best fast food chains. Boom, I just said it, people. Drop the mic. You got the Sonic Blast. You got the Happy Hour, Corn Dog, Tater Tots. All you haters, you're crazy. You got Chick-fil-A, then you got McDonald's, then you got Sonic, all right? Done, okay? Number two. Hot take, Spirit Airlines. It's not that bad. Look, you just gotta know, one, just check a bag, or don't check a bag. You just bring carry-on, and you just gotta know they're gonna charge you for, for like breathing the air. But it's only like 13 cents to fly. Eyes wide open. Hot take, the only Olympics worth watching are the Summer Olympics. Winter Olympics should not exist. There's just way too much figure skating, okay? Nobody needs that many leotards and spandex and it's, it's all you, that's all it is. Every time I turn on TV, it's that and curling. All right, hot take. Cargo pants should never come back or have existed in the first place. Everyone wearing cargo pants, it's like going. Excuse me. Uh, hot take. This one is hot, man. I'm, I might be alone with the masses here. Beyonce should never have left Destiny's Child. Boom. I'm a survivor. I just don't believe in boy bands or girl bands splitting up in general. JT, I'd say the same thing. Show some commitment, people. Good grief. Finally, before we get into the subject of the message, hot take, most people with a gluten allergy are self-diagnosed. It's all in your head. Standing ovation, I love it. All right. You know it's true. You know that it's facts. You just tried gluten-free one time and you were like, oh man, I feel better and lighter. It's an excuse to eat healthier. My doctor tells me. All right, hot take. Sex before marriage is amazing, but destructive. Hot take, sex before marriage is amazing. You guys didn't know where I was gonna go with that one right there. <laughs> but destructive. We're gonna to talk tonight about a subject that God's word is abundantly clear on, 
related to sex before marriage. And that first part of the sentence, you may be surprised. It's your first time in church. You're like, I can't believe you just said that. Sex before marriage is amazing because sex is amazing because God created it to be. It's an incredible gift. And let's just start there. In fact, all, all of you already know that, or the large majority, that's not shocking news to you. And anybody who grew up and told you that, oh, you know, sex is a terrible thing, you know, I want to do it, was lying or had never had it. And the truth is, sex in any context, or sex before marriage, physically or pleasurably, is amazing. But it can also be incredibly destructive. As a society, you know, people assume that it's so amazing that people are not... Of course they're going to have sex before marriage, which is why in most sex education courses you took in high school or even in college, they didn't start with, hey, this is for marriage. They just ended up going, this is how it's done. Here's a bunch of condoms. Who wants them? Right? And the world assumption is that sex is amazing, which is why it's all over the TV. It's in every sitcom. It's in every show that you watch where there's just something in all of us that, you know, is excited and the thrill and excitement of that. As we know, it's amazing. 95% of people, before they get married, statistically, or over 90%, have sex, or have had sex with someone before they took vows and pledged, I do. But at the same time, while it's amazing, I think most of us, if we were going to take a just sober look at it, we also would acknowledge or would have to recognize there's some clear challenges with the current offense that our world has as it relates to sexuality. Between one in three and one in five, young adults today have an STD, which means if I had everybody stand up, which I'm not going to, and said, sit down, if you don't, somebody around you or somebody near you would. The number of people on average that the average young adult has for sexual partners before they get married is eight. Some of the deepest hurts and pains in all of our lives are connected to the fact that while sex outside of marriage was amazing, it was also destructive and really painful. Maybe not even sex that you had, somebody in your family or a parent had sex outside of marriage and it led to the breakdown of your parents' marriage because they had an affair. Some of the deepest pain in the room and a part of our stories in deepest ways all of us are, have been impacted and even touched at like a soul level has been through sex. And some of the hardest moments and pain and tears and breakup are connected to that. And so while we know at a heart level that clearly something is not entirely right, there's some things that God is going to say through his word of why it is so destructive. And it's not because God is against sex. We're about to see that in a second. He's so, he created it. He invented it. He's all about it. He's all about his children experiencing one of the greatest gifts or one of Yeah, one of God's greatest gifts that he gave. And yet, he's going to lay out why it also is something you and I need to approach with a real clarity because used in the wrong way can be incredibly painful. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at some teachings of three reasons why Paul would say sex outside of marriage is amazing, but it's destructive. And I want to say something before we get going. I know in a room this size... And statistically speaking, most of us have had some level of sexual encounter. The vast majority of us have had sex outside of the context of marriage. And so what Paul is going to lay out tonight, there may be part of you that feels like you're coming in shame, guilt, damaged goods, God has done, and I want you to hear me abundantly clear. 
those feelings are not from God. That is not the language that he speaks. So any shame and guilt that you feel doesn't come from him. He speaks of the language, 2 Corinthians tells us, of causing conviction that leads to repentance, but shame and guilt and you feeling like damaged goods is not from him. There's not a person in here, if you've had 300 sexual partners, that God doesn't want to use in incredible ways. And that is beyond the length of the love of God. And so if you feel those emotions, those are not from the Lord. If you feel the emotions of, man, I feel like I, I may need to, today I'm gonna make some decisions. I'm not doing this anymore. Those may be from the Lord. But the language of shame and guilt is not what he speaks. So we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Here's what you gotta know about Corinthians. It was written by the Apostle Paul in the first century, around 60, 50s, late 50s, AD, to the city, Corinth. And inside of the city of Corinth, there was a new group of Christians meeting in a church, much smaller than this, baby believers who were trying to figure out how to live out their faith. And they were trying to live out their faith in the belly of the beast, if you will. Corinth would have been akin to Las Vegas today. In other words, uh, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Corinth was a port city that thousands and thousands of travelers would come in and come out, which is relevant because it was also where a temple full of a thousand prostitutes lived, worked, were present, where people would come in and they would sleep with prostitutes. It was a normal part of life. It was accepted and it was just something that people would do all the time. There was even a slang term because it was called by one scholar, Corinth was the sexual capital of the world. So much so that the term Corinthian became a slang term for a prostitute or for a, you know, a woman who is uh, a prostitute. And, um, and so if you told your mom you were dating a girl from Corinth, she was not about that. Or if T-Pain existed, he would have been singing, I'm in love with the Corinthians, she riding, she riding, because that's just what came to mind. Yeah, you didn't think I could work T-Pain into this message, did you? <laughs> and so when Paul writes this, it wasn't into some culture that we think of, of you know, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons and everything's buttoned up and that's so outdated. It was a sexualized culture beyond even what we think of even today. And Paul writes, and he writes to this group of the new baby believers who was doing something that sounds crazy to us, but was sleeping with prostitutes in the temple. They didn't think it was a big deal. And Paul writes and says, man, that's because you don't understand sex. No one's ever told you. Let me explain uh, what sex is and what happens when that happens. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, he says this. You say, again, he's writing a letter and he's kind of addressing some of the stuff going on in the church. Food was made for the stomach and stomach for food. This is true, though some guy, someday God will do away with them both. But you cannot say our bodies were made for sexual morality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. So he writes to Corinthians, and they had a saying that, hey, you know, food for the stomach, stomach for food, sex for the body, body for sex. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You think in the same way that, hey, when I get hungry, I eat something. You cannot think, hey, when I get horny, I sleep with someone. And he's addressing this flawed way of thinking that they had of like, oh, it's not that big of a deal, it's just a physical act. He says, you don't realize and you don't understand what sex is. Verse 15, don't you realize your bodies are actually parts of Christ? You've been united with him when you became a Christian. Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, 
and join it. And the same Greek word for join it is glue it together, unite it together with a prostitute. Never. Don't you realize if a man joins himself to a prostitute or to someone, a man or a woman who's not his wife, this next line, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. The two are glued, again that word united, into one. But the person who's joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. So casual sex, he's addressing. You guys think it's just casual, it's a hookup. Today, I mean, it's the same, essentially, action taking place of casual hookups, one night stands, Tinder just to get a sexual release. And you say, no, 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 you don't understand sex. Sex was this thing that God gave. And when you have sex with someone, the two of you are uniting and becoming one. And we, we think, no, Paul, you clearly don't understand sex because it's just sex and it's not that big of a deal. And honestly, I, I don't even remember her name or it just was a one-night thing. He's like, no, you don't understand sex because God gave this incredible gift that every time it happens, it's like the two of you are touching and intermingling at the deepest level, at a soul level where the two are becoming one. It's not just some casual prostitute of the temple. It's not just some one-night stand. The two of you are joining and doing what God, we're going to get to in a second, gave to be this gluing together of two people every time that happens. And every time that you separate and break off, it's so you're ripping apart what had just been glued together. And a little piece of you goes with them and a little piece of them comes with you. He says, you don't understand sex. This first idea from the text of why sex can be so devastating is sex has permanence. Sex has permanence. It's got staying power. It's sticky. I don't mean that as a pun. I mean quite literally. It was created to bond people together, to be this incredible gift that in the right context bonds people together and makes them more united, have a stronger bond in that relationship together. Quite literally, science is catching up to what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. In other words, science is now saying, hey, every time you have sex, something really interesting happens. The body releases these hormones that have been coined the cuddle hormone or the attachment hormone or the love hormone. It's something called oxytocin. You guys want to see what oxytocin looks like? Here's oxytocin. This is love. That's the sequencing or the breakdown of the molecular level of the hormone of oxytocin. Here's what you got to know about oxytocin. It's a really interesting hormone. I kind of went down the deep dive of hormones this week. Women have 10 times the average amount of oxytocin inside of them at any given time. Oxytocin is associated with childbirth, and it's, it's the hormone that when a woman gives birth, she forgets all of the horrific pain, which, God bless women, all the horrific pain that happens in that moment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you, moms everywhere. Is replaced by this flood of this hormone, and that hormone makes her and that baby attach in such a deep way that anybody that tries to pry that baby is gonna get mama bear because she is so in love and attached to that baby. The average woman, like I said, has 10 times more, which explains why oxytocin, which is responsible for the general emotional connection that uh, is present or feelings of warmth and affection and bonding, it really explains why women are generally better at relating to others emotionally or nicer or why guys are such jerks because women just have 10 times more on average kind of all around and connecting and, Loving and caring people. 
with one exception. There was one occasion where both parties, man and woman, have a surge of oxytocin. And oxytocin is the thing that makes you want to bond, love, connect. It floods, that's the hormone. And that one occasion where both of them surge and are almost at the exact same height or amount is during sex. But science is saying that, hey, there's something that releases, which is why oftentimes when you know, a boyfriend is having sex, he'll blurt out and go from this is awesome to, oh my gosh, I think I love you. And then the next day he's like, I don't even think we should keep dating. And you're like, what? Because, listen to me, in that moment, God created this way, biologically, scientifically. You're getting a flood of all these hormones that God geniusly created to flood, to create an attachment in that moment. One sex therapist described it as this. Every time you have intercourse, the body creates an involuntary, you don't choose to do it, chemical commitment. Another one, UCLA psychiatrist Marion Grossman says, it's almost as though you might say what the discoveries of sex have taught us is that we were created to bond which is true. Every time that that happens, there's this flood created to connect in all of your five senses. This is why there's an emotional attachment, there's a, a, a literal attachment with your senses, your taste, sight, hearing, touch, and when that sexual intercourse or release happens, it bonds to that person. Candidly, this is why that first person that you had sex with, it's so hard to get over. Because they, it's so they, took part of you or you're attached to them. And you'd be like, no, I haven't seen them since high school. But every now and then, you're going on Facebook, you're seeing where they work, you wonder if they're married. Is there still part that's attached? And Paul would say, that's because that's what sex is. Science is just backing up what God already said, which it was created to fuse or to bond together. And this is why it's really important that you and I understand as it relates to sex. Before marriage, the problem is not that it's so bad. The problem is that it is so good. And you're going to create these bonds and these hormones and floods with somebody who is not your spouse, and then you're going to rip apart from them. And eventually, over time, we just get so desensitized where we have to intentionally try to ignore almost those bonds and get over them because of the pain that comes with ripping apart from those sexual relationships to the point where all of a sudden sex, honestly, for a lot of you, may be thinking, look, it's, it's not that bonding or permanent, or I can have totally casual sex and it doesn't mean anything. And that would be because Paul would say, you have repeated the process so many times that the stickiness you've become immune to, that doesn't mean you're beyond what God can heal and bring about, but the effect of this incredible, powerful gift that has permanence has begun to wear off on you. It's like this. This is duct tape. If I was to take this duct tape and tape it to my arm, okay? <laughs> Immediately regrets this decision. If this duct tape stays on my arm like now, I'm not gonna feel any pain. It's bonded. But if I rip it off, a couple things are gonna happen. Ah, okay. It's going to be painful. And it's going to be increasingly less sticky every time that it goes on there. In other words, and not just that, but every time it goes on there, it gets less painful and less painful. 
because the stickiness begins to wear off because it wasn't created, or sex, in a similar way, it wasn't created to attach and then rip off. It was created to attach to one person in the context of marriage. And God's not communicating, and I'm not sharing that, in order to bring shame or guilt, but to give a framework and understanding for all of us to go, this is what God created sex for. And just like the more and more that you put it on and rip it off, and more and put it on and rip it off, the less sticky it becomes. And candidly, the less painful ripping it off becomes. Because internally, just like through sex, more and more sticking, bonding, ripping apart, you just become numb. And this incredible gift that God gave to be a gift to unify your future marriage or your marriage becomes the gift that you are using to not prepare for marriage but divorce, where ripping apart from someone is no longer painful and hard and difficult. And staying bonded to someone is no longer easy. And Paul would say it's because sex has permanence every time it happens. This is why dating and relationships, it's so dangerous to introduce sex. There's a couple reasons. One is because in the stage of dating, you are evaluating. You're making the decision like, is this somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with? And when you introduce sex, things get a whole lot muddier. It becomes, in other words, much more challenging to evaluate because you know what the Bible says? And everybody knows this is true. Sex is intoxicating. Proverbs chapter five says, it's like you're drunk. You know what no one would recommend in their life to make good decisions? Big life decisions. If you had a friend come along and say, you know what, I'm trying to decide, should I buy this house? I'm trying to decide, should I take this job? I'm trying to decide, should I go back to law school or should I go back to grad school or should I make a decision, should I move places? I'm trying to decide, should I invest all of my money in Dogecoin? No one would say, whatever your big decision is, I'm gonna go with a no on that last one too, by the way, Dogecoin, but whatever your big decision is, no one would say, hey, you know what? Here's how I recommend we make that decision. Come out of my house, I'm gonna bring over some Tito's, we're just gonna get hammered, and then we're gonna decide, buy the house, go with the Dogecoin, whatever it is. Why? Because your ability to rightly evaluate diminishes. In the stage of dating, your ability, when you introduce an intoxicating thing, your ability to rightly evaluate, is this person, like, do we share the same values? Do I want to build a family with them? Do I think they're a good husband or a good mother? Is this someone I want to be with for the rest of the rest? Your ability to evaluate those things goes out the window because it's intoxicating. You're not able to see most clearly and candidly and heartbreakingly. This is why couples who you shouldn't have dated more than three weeks, you stayed together three years because you began to bond and then all of a sudden, your lives begin to overlap. And then eventually, you're like, maybe we should move into each other. And you always had these red flags, and you were always concerned, and you weren't sure that they were the right person, but you just got so emotionally attached. And you begin to think like, oh, man, if I hit the ejection button now, you know, maybe there was not going to be somebody else. And something that should have broken up introduced sex to it, and that bond became there. And that bond came there. And every time you thought, maybe I should get out, that sexual union took place. And you're like, man, maybe I should. And all of a sudden, you're living together. you got a dog together. You're on a Netflix subscription together. And you're like, ah, I don't know if I can. And Paul would say, you were dating intoxicated. You were dating under the influence of sex. Which is never a recipe for evaluating, is this the right person? Next to who you're going to worship is God. The decision of who you're going to marry is the single biggest decision you're going to make. You are picking your family. You're picking the father of your children. You're picking the grandfather of your 
grandchildren. That's not something you want to do under the influence of anything that's going to inhibit your ability to think clearly. And Paul would say, because sex has permanence. Sex has permanence that I just want to reiterate, no matter your story, how many times you've ripped off the tape, God is not done, he can heal, he wants good for you, and he wants to bring you to a relationship or you to experience a type of marriage and union together that's beyond, candidly, your wildest dreams. So any shame and guilt that you're feeling is not from him. But it would be foolish for us to not walk away and go, man, sex has permanence. That's not the only thing it has. Paul next goes to something else that sex involves. He says this, run from sexual sin. It's it's the Greek word porne, and I'll explain what that means in a second. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Sexual sin or sexual morality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a price, a very high price, the life of his son. So honor God with your body. He says some really interesting things there. Even if you're not a believer, you gotta at least go, huh, that's an interesting hot take. He says, no other sin is like sexual sin in the way that it impacts you. No other sin brings about the specific consequences that come along with sexual sin. All of them different from this unique sin. So run from sexual sin or flee, your translation may have there. Because sexual sin uniquely impacts you. It impacts you at a soul, deep level, distinct from other sins. It's exactly what he says. He points out the fact that the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, in other words, he points out, hey, the temple is not some place you go to. If you're in Christ, the temple, you are the temple of God. In other words, the temple was a place the presence of God was, it was revered, it was amazing, it was set apart. And since Jesus came, Paul's saying, no, 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 you're the temple of God. He, he dwells in you if you're a Christian. But no other sexual sin, you've got to understand, this is categorically different. The consequences are so different from any other sin. The second idea from the text is sex has power. He uses the word porneia. What is porneia? Porneia is a general kind of catch-all term for sexual sin of any kind. Sex before marriage, sexting, oral sex, masturbation, anal sex, sex with animals, gay sex, straight sex, any sex outside of marriage. And Paul says, you are playing with something that distinctly impacts and has consequences. Be careful with this thing. Not because God is against sex, we're gonna get there, that he's all about sex in a specific context, but because you're playing with something that is incredibly dangerous. In my house, this is a safe, and this safe is upside, upstairs, in our room, in my closet, on a high shelf so that no one can get to it, despite the fact that I'm the only one who knows the code to the safe. And the reason why is because in it, it contains a firearm, a gun. And that is a gun that I have a very keen awareness is not a bad thing. Guns can be an incredibly good thing in the hands of somebody or the right person used in the right way to protect, to prevent harm, prevent crime, can be an incredibly good thing. But in the hands of a person who doesn't know what they're doing or doesn't know how to use it, it can be an incredibly dangerous thing. This gun is this revealed back, the slide is back, there's no magazine inside of it, the chamber is cleared, there's nothing inside of it. And some of you right now are thinking, 
Oh my gosh, what kind of church is this? He just said, <laughs> he just gave that whole list of sex and he's got a gun <laughs> on the stage. And if you're uncomfortable, it's, it's not crazy because why? You know the reverence that you should have and I should have for a loaded, which is not, <laughs> for a gun. I was out with some friends not long ago, and I uh, was, took the firearm and just took some friends out to the range. And I gotta say, every time that I, I have that and I'm showing somebody, hey, here's the safety it's on, here's how you shoot it, you never point it at any person, you point it away from you, you make sure that the chamber, if you're done with it, is loaded, or I mean, is empty, that, <laughs> don't do that. The safety's on, here's how you turn it on, here's how you turn it off. And I feel like an angst when I'm showing somebody how to shoot it, because I know that incredibly powerful tool, that's not bad in and of itself, but used wrongly can be deadly, can be destructive, can be life-altering. Paul, in the Bible, speaks, believe it or not, of sex in the same way, that it can be this incredibly life-altering thing. It's, it's not a bad tool at all, but used in the wrong way, in the wrong context, by the wrong people can have significant ripples and impacts affecting every part of your life. And so use it knowing sex is powerful. You need to understand, and I understand, sex is this gift that is not bad, but is incredibly powerful in our life. I already mentioned the fact that, it, honestly, firsthand, all of us have seen this. I can still remember the first sexual encounter that I had with somebody. I still don't know where she was, where we were, the house, and still see those moments. Why? Why can you remember? I mean, most of us, you're not like having vivid flashbacks of the first time you smoked weed or the first time that, man, you may have stole something or lied to somebody. You just don't even remember it, but you can go back to that high school night, college, frat party. Those moments can flood back to you. We, we understand sex is not just physical in a world that says, eh, it's just physical, it's just two contending adults, it's not that big of a deal. If that's true, why is some of the biggest shame and guilt that people carry connected to sexuality? I've been doing this a long time, 12 years. I've sat in front of the stage 12 different years, or for 12 years, and often somebody will come down front and they'll want to talk and they'll share and they'll just walk through, hey, can I talk to you real quick? And they'll do the same thing almost every time. Do you mind if you just step over here for a second? And I'm like, great, can I talk to you just alone? I'll say no, I don't ever talk to just people alone, but hey, it's my buddy, he's great, you'll love him, let's talk, and we'll talk. And they always have one thing, every time, it's the same thing. I've never shared this with anybody, but I, I, when I was 12, blank, and it has something to do with sex taking place. I've been addicted to pornography since I was 16, and I can't. I, I slept with somebody uh, of, the op or of the same sex, or the opposite sex, that always, in other words, every time, they've never come up and be like, I just need to get this off my chest. I lied about my SAT score to my roommate, and, um, <laughs> or, Okay, when I was 16, I had, um, I think, a little bit too much to drink. I wouldn't say I was totally wasted, but I was definitely beyond tipsy, and I'm not exactly, they never do that. I don't carry shame like that. I want you to seriously think about it. Why? Because it impacted them, like sex does for all of us, at a soul level, it touches something, because God made it that way, at the soul. 
This is why, and I want to be really careful. This is why victims of sexual abuse, and it wasn't your fault, and it was wrong, and God's not done with you. But if that's part of your story, or you know someone that's a part of their story, they know it's not just physical. They didn't even choose to act, and they carry shame and guilt and pain. Why? If it's just physical, then somebody who's just beat up should carry the same thing because it's not just physical. And they took something from you. And it wasn't just physical. It was emotional, spiritual, sexual. We live in a world that lies and knows it's not just physical. The Me Too movement and the appropriate energy among sexual predators that took off, sparked a wildfire, reflects the fact that our world, as crazy and lost as it is, it knows this was not just physical what happened. Because it wasn't. Because sex has power. And you need to know, like a firearm, Paul would say, you need to approach it knowing what you're dealing with. One, one thing that comes up a lot, and I, I just I want to hit this one last time and then we're about to move, is people can think that God is like a prude, that he's against sex and, you know, he doesn't want it. God invented it. I'm about to cover that more in depth in a second. I want you to think about, if you were God, what would you do? If you could write the rule book, command on, hey, you know what, I can have sex with, you can have sex with anybody you want, including cows. You can do whatever you want at any time in life, or you can say, hey, this just exists for the context of marriage. What would you do? And before you answer that question, I want you to think about all of the pain, all of the cost that sex outside of marriage has caused in your life, your family's life, friend's life, and in our world. What do I mean by that? Think of the number of divorces that have ended because of sexual sin by one person. Every year, a million babies are aborted. The vast, vast, vast majority of those because the two people who had sex and got pregnant were not married, had no interest in staying together, and did not want that baby. That's a million literal lives lost. The number of sexually transmitted diseases that is rampant. All of these, by the way, do not mean that God is done with you. He doesn't want to use you. He can't bring healing inside of your life. But it's clear, there's a true cost that happens when you take something that is this incredible gift and you take it outside of the context of marriage. If you were God and you could wave a magic wand and say, hey, this is where sex should take place, knowing all of the damage, the pain, lives ruined or ended because of sex outside of marriage, what would you do? Where would you encourage it to take place? And maybe it now makes sense why God, who's all about sex in the right context, would say, hey, this is for two married people to come together and be glued and united and loved, and out of that love, life will come. But God knows sex has power. Last thing on this, and we're gonna move to the last point. Man, I hope you get this. There's going to be some people that you're not going to get it, and that breaks my heart, truly. The message of the culture 
is you need them, and some of you guys have parents, and let me tell you, what they say, if they say this next sentence, they're wrong. They're fools, honestly. And I don't mean that to associate it with your mom and dad. I'm sure they're really nice people. I'd love to meet them. But they're fools if they say this. You need to make sure you're sexually compatible. Here's why. Knowing everything the Bible teaches about, hey, you're bonding together with somebody who may not be your spouse. You may be preparing better for divorce than for marriage. You're playing with something that can be incredibly destructive and dangerous inside of your life. And you need to make sure that you're sexually compatible. Why would that be a bad idea? The myth of sexual compatibility, I think, is one of the most astonishing insanities of our world. Because here, I'm going to remove the mystery. How do you know if you're sexually compatible with someone? If you're a guy, and you have a penis, and she's a woman, and she has a vagina, boom, bingo! <laughs> and you may be, and now in your mind, you're playing back and forth. You're like, yeah, but I may have a higher sex drive, and we need to make sure that we both have the same amount of sex drive. Let me break off a little something for you. Your sex drive is going to change, bro. So is hers. You're going to go through seasons. You're going to go through a dark winter after having kids where there ain't no sex for you, bro. <laughs> That's true. That's real. That's happening. And so you've been like, oh, man, are we, are we on the same page, swinging from the chandelier every night? That's not going to be your reality. And for you to say, I need to make sure that we're sexually compatible is like saying... If that's the test, hey, you know what? We're sexually compatible, so I think we should do that. That's like saying, hey, we both think sunsets are beautiful. You know, I think we should get married. That's a terrible reason. Why? Billions of people think sunsets are beautiful. Just like billions of people, literally, you are sexually compatible with. There are billions of people, if I may, and I'm not trying to be vulgar, who could bring you to climax. Billions. Does that mean you should marry that person, or that is the criteria for getting married. No. And if you believe that, you're a fool. And there's people right now, probably in the YouTube comments and in the Facebook chat, that's like, no, I heard about a guy, and you need to make sure. No, you're a fool. You're a fool. God created sex, and he designed it. The reason the parts can work together, and I can go 100% confident, man, woman, is because it's true. And you're looking for somebody sexually compatible, and let me just break it off. You know what? Your marriage or your wedding night, it may not be all like, Ooh, man, fireworks going everywhere. But you're gonna have the rest of your life to grow, to move towards each other, to learn how to pleasure one another, which God is all about in marriage. And beforehand, buying live, like, are we sexually compatible? You're fooling yourself if you actually tell yourself you have to find that out. And you may not believe me, but you are. God doesn't want you to introduce something so powerful, potentially so devastating. And the final reason is because Paul's going to tell us sex has permanence, it has power, and it is something else. Verse 1 of chapter 7. Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, so he's responding, he's saying, you guys wrote me a letter and I'm writing you back. Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. Whoa, Paul, okay, hard pass on that. But because, he's not done. And this was right there, that's probably the sentence a lot of you guys grew up in youth group and you believe some version of, like, oh man, sex is bad, sex is bad. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Because sexual morality, because there's so much, every man should have a wife. Every woman should have her husband. The husband, look at this verse should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. The wife should fulfill her husband's needs. 
The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Husband gives authority over his body to his wife. I love this next verse. Do not deprive one another of sexual relations. In other words, headache, no. Don't say, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. By the way, when you get married, I would not start with this. Speaking from experience. Unless, <laughs> unless you both, listen, do not deprive each other sexually. <laughs> this is so freaking gold, man. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should have sex again so that Satan, come together again, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's basically saying, Paul's saying, and it's not, it's not a controlling, Paul is basically saying, hey, you need to be servant lovers towards one another and die to each other's own preferences and wants and serve one another and enjoy sexually. But think about that. If you came in the room, you think the Bible is approved. Paul literally just commanded, husbands and wives, you need to have sex. Have it often so that nobody is tempted. You need to come together. You need to serve one another. You need to prioritize the physical, emotional, sexual needs of your spouse. Your body's not yours, it's hers. Her body's not hers, it's yours. And that's how you both need to come into the relationship and think. And I love even his thing. The only time, this is, this is crazy, man. The only time, there's one occasion why I think it's okay for you not. You both mutually agree. In other words, you're both like, yeah, I think we should. We'd like to spend a little more time in prayer. That's the only occasion. And make sure when you're done, back together. That's what the Bible just said. Sex is not something God is against. Sex is something, it was his idea. But the third idea, or the third point, is sex has power, it has permanence, and it has a place. And that place is in the context of marriage. This may surprise you or may not, but further, I want you to just think about it for a second. Sex, sex was God's idea. It didn't exist. And God was like, huh, I've been thinking. I got a great idea. Angels, you're gonna love this. You guys don't get to do it, but this is gonna be awesome. And <laughs> boom, he created the parts. It wasn't like he invented Adam and Eve, walked away, and then one day he was like, what in the, okay, back off. He created it. He created the nerve endings where they are. The genius idea that was his creation, it's not against that. It was his idea. The two to kept together, and think of the genius of the idea. Out of this overflow of love, two people come together and they're so in love. And out of that overflow of their love and their unity and their sex, life, literally life, a human life comes out of the overflow of that love. It's brilliant. Even the way that he bond, we already talked about the oxytocin, all of that, that was God's creation, that it would weave together. And every time you would have sex, you're renewing your vows and you're bonded and your bond together becomes stronger and stronger and stronger for the rest of your life. Even the way, like, let me just be real. This, this happens, and this happens when you get married. So you get married, and, and this just, it's candidly, ladies, it's, I think, part of the brokenness of the fall. Like the guy, he's so sweet, at least for me. I'm pursuing my wife, we're dating, romance. I'm over there, here we're going to dinner every other night. I'm over here writing poems like Romeo. And I'm, we get married. And it's so quickly easy to not prioritize romancing, pursuing. And God did something that would 
turn up the heat of him, of men knowing like, oh man, I need to romance and care for my wife and, and pursue her emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Because God gave me a sex drive that he turned up just a little bit hotter in the men so that they would know, oh, I can't just go about and work on my golf game and be totally fine. I need to pursue my wife. And every time that I do, we come together, that union gets tighter and stronger and sexually. Same thing with her. That this ingenious, beautiful design, that the two would come together and experience pleasure together, love together, intimacy, connection, and out of that overflow, life would come forward. And our world has taken it and inverted it. That it's not a combination of love, it's a combination of self pleasure, it's self-desire, and it comes together, and if life is created, terminated. Because that's what Satan, who is, the, what the Bible says the enemy does, he twists it. He takes what is a gift, and he twists it. And God says, man, I'm not against sex, I'm all about it. I created it. I want you to experience it. And let me, I'm about to land the plane and close with this. If you feel right now like damaged goods and what God has for you is beyond what you could experience because of your past, because of your story, because of your present, you also have bought a lie. And I want to be bold enough to say this. Every one of you who's not in a godly covenant marriage, there is a sense in which you are a virgin. And I don't mean born again virgin, Sean Lowe style. I mean you have never experienced Real sex. Stay with me. Because you can't. Outside of the context of marriage, stay with me. I'm being, every word that I'm about to say is very, very important. I'm talking the type of real sex God gave as a gift that can only happen in the context of marriage between one man and one woman who come together and say, I covenant my life to you. I know everything messed up about you. You're not perfect. You're broken. You got a sexual past. I'm not going anywhere. We are going to be naked and unashamed. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to prioritize you. I won't do it perfectly, but I'm here for you and I'm going to serve you. And then on the other side, she's going, I know your past. I know everything broken, everything messed up. I'm not going anywhere. And we're covenanting our lives together. We're going to walk through the highs and the lows, the valleys and the mountaintops together. And we're going to love each other and be naked and unashamed. That's the type of real sex. I'm talking Garden of Eden style, Song of Solomon sex. And if you have never been married in a covenant relationship with a person who loves Jesus like you love Jesus imperfectly, but committed to that covenant coming together, you have never had real sex. I don't care how many chandeliers you swung from, you haven't had it. Because let me be clear, you can't. You can have a one-night hookup. You can have a banging body and be amazing in your own eyes in bed, but you haven't had real sex like it was created, designed, intended to be. And there's still hope, and there's still an opportunity for you to pursue that. But the more damage that you and I do as it relates to playing with something that is so powerful, can be so damaging, is only going to get in the way if you don't take this season, say, God, I'm going to surrender even my sexuality to you. I'm going to surrender my life. And I'm going to trust your way. I'm going to use sex or see it as a gift that is intended for the context of marriage. And I'm going to trust you with that. And I'm going to allow you to come in and work through and bring healing to everything broken inside of my life. My kids love this Etch-A-Sketch. I love playing with an Etch-A-Sketch. This one is one that Ramsey went out and bought today. 
so I couldn't take away my two-year-olds. But this is an Etch-a-Sketch, and something will happen with a two-year-old when they play with an Etch-a-Sketch. Etch-a-Sketch, if you didn't grow up in America, is this thing where you twist the knobs and different lines come up. And in a real way, what happens inside of, you see a two-year-old messing with, going around with the Etch-a-Sketch is, they're not able to kind of logically reason like how to create anything other than squiggly lines and damage and everything's chaotic and out of control. And so she'll come to me, the two-year-old, and she'll bring it and be like, hey, can you shake it? Because she also doesn't have enough strength to shake it and start it new. In a lot of ways, our sexual lives are like the mess and the chaos that got woven. And you were introduced to pornography at age 12. And then all of a sudden at 16, there was a girl, and man, you didn't go all the way, but, but you, you went as far as she would let you go. And it was oral sex, and that was a part of your story. And then all of a sudden you got into high school, and it was a girl that you were like, man, I feel like we're in love. And culture says, you know, whenever you're ready, and I feel like I was born ready, so we're going to have sex, and you had sex. And all along the journey, there was all these different moments that make up the twists and turns and the baggage, and the pain, and the shame, and the parts of your story. What God is inviting you to do tonight, and it may be the best step that you can give to yourself, to your future spouse, is to say, I am gonna surrender my sexuality, all the turns, all the brokenness, all the chaos, all the messes, everything that I've given, and I wanna give it to you, God. Because I believe that what you say is true, that you are the only one who could take it, and you could shake it, and you could make it right, and you can make what looks so chaotic, disappear. And you can bring order. You can restore all the different brokenness that exists inside of my heart. And you can bring to life. And I believe that is true. And I'm gonna trust you with my marriage. I'm gonna trust you with my future. I'm gonna trust you with whatever you have for me. And I'm asking that you would help me heal. Because some of you guys, you need to heal from sexual past. You need to heal from parts of your story that you have never told anybody but they're part of your story that is impacting you and is going to impact your marriage unless you deal with it. And bring it to the God who wants to take that brokenness and replace all the shame, replace it with his love and restore what was taken from you and redefine your past, erase the sexual sin He's not done with you. This passage starts in a way that is so profound to me. First Corinthians chapter six, it starts by saying this at the end. Those who indulge in sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wait, what are you saying, Paul? You're, you're about to write to a bunch of guys and men and women who were sleeping with prostitutes and you say that's sexual sin, not to do it. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. By living a good life? By dating rightly? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, Paul writes to a group of people sleeping with prostitutes. Think about that. Hey guys, stop sleeping with prostitutes. But before he goes there, he says, some of you were marked by sexual sin. 
Not are, more. But you were washed, you were cleansed, not because of your behavior, but by calling on the name of Jesus Christ. You're not defined by those things. All of your sexual dysfunction has been replaced and defined by the cross. And you were cleansed, you were made right. You were washed pure as snow, the Bible says. Those things that flooded you or have flooded you in the last 45 minutes with all shame and guilt, those do not come from him. And he's not condoning your sin and saying, man, just keep slipping around. He's calling you to be who you are as a follower of Christ, set apart, holy, righteous, clean. The word porneia is a word that its origins come from. Remember I said porneia is the word for sexual sin. You know where the origin of that word comes from? It comes from to sell yourself in exchange for something that's not as valuable as you. Which is so beautiful if you think of the context in which Paul takes that word and he says, you are so valuable. You were bought at a high price, the price of Christ himself on the cross. That's how valuable you are. No matter how much shame you feel, no matter how many people you've been with, you're so valuable to God that he would give his own life for you. Don't sell yourself short or exchange your body for something that's less valuable than you are. And your value, no matter your story, no matter your past, is beyond words I could describe because it is the life of Christ. It's how much you mean to God. And tonight, he's calling all of us in whatever way and to whatever degree to surrender our sexuality. Maybe confess something we've never shared before to experience healing. Maybe to just say, you know what? We're breaking this relationship off. Well, you know what? Hey, we're gonna bring in community because we've been pushing physical boundaries and it's not honoring to God. I don't know what the step is, but whatever that step is, if you decide to take it, you have the courage, this is me, you take that step and you're giving a gift to you, your future spouse, a gift that leads to life and that honors God and that leads to a future that's better than whatever step you would take if you don't take that one. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you do not define us by our sin, by our past. You look in the eyes of people who are sexually ignorant, foolish, self-harming, and you call them cleansed, holy, righteous. I pray that any shame felt in this room would not be as big as you are. Sex has power, but you're more powerful. Sex has permanence, but you are more permanent. Sex has a place, and every person here has a place with you. I pray that you would heal open wounds and turn them into scars, open sexual pasts and turn them into scars that people won't walk around carrying an open wound of pain, but a scar that they tell of how God, even through the most broken part of our past, was at work and is good and has brought healing. Pray for anyone who's never trusted in you, God, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not clothed by holiness, righteous, and all the attributes that don't come from our behavior, they come from calling on the name of the Lord. Tonight would be their night. We worship you in song. Amen.